In this episode, I'm going to be reading Chapter 5. Put your mind to rest. Take a deep breath through your nose. Hold it. Relax every, everything in your body while exhaling slowly. Another deep breath through the nose. Hold it. Release over every bone in your body. Feel yourself sinking into the bed and listen to the story as it unfolds. May 25, Fort Wayne, Detroit, Michigan. March, 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 old soldier, march. Hay foot, stay foot, belly full of bean soup. March, old soldier, march. Sarah knew that if she ever heard the words again, she would throw up. Every day for the last three weeks, they'd been listening to the drill field. In the early summer heat, toting around their rifles, not firing them, the way she'd have the troops trooping all around if she were in charge. Until this last week, half the troops couldn't hit the target. The other half were so untaught, they didn't know their left foot from their right, kept tripping and turning the wrong way and bumping into one another for the first two weeks of training. Some didn't know how to clean their rifles. Sarah herself had taught two young men who were so afraid to handle the Springfields. She was sure the first time they did, they would shoot themselves in the head. Strawfoot was the name for a new recruit. Sarah didn't blame the sergeants for any name they put on some of the men. Her two tentmates, for instance, deserved the most demeaning name she could think of. The first week, they'd taken every instance to lie around and smoke and revel in their uncombed hair, unbuttoned shirts, and unwashed tin plates. Apparently, this was the first time they'd been on their own, away from their mamas, and they couldn't believe their good fortune. Beats clerking all day, the one had said. Beats farming too, from the other. Their names were Jake Curran and Anthony Hill. They teased Sarah because she took her duties so seriously. 
both were from Lansing. There was only one thing Sarah envied about them. They wrote home. She'd lie on her pallet all night, hear the scratching of their pens by candlelight as they wrote their adventures to their families. Dear Ma, Jake read it out one night from his own letter. There's a group here from the northern Pennsylvania, the 13th Pennsylvania Reserves. They call themselves the Bucktails because they decorated. Hey, Neddy, what's the spell of it again? Of what? Sarah would ask from her end of the tent. Decorated. So she'd spell the word. She did this all the time for both of them. And Jake would scratch the word down and continue reading. They decorated their caps with strips of fur they got from a deer carcass in front of the butcher shop near their camp at Harrisburg. Hey, Neddy, do Harrisburg have one R or two? From somewhere between the rows of tents would float the smell of fresh coffee and the sound of a harmonica playing. Home sweet home. Sarah would get up then, so washed a feeling. She'd think she just had a bath with her mama's lye soap. She could even smell lye soap as she made her way out of the tent and to the campfire where the coffee was bubbling. She'd stay up late talking with anybody who wanted to talk. One thing she had discovered by now was that it was easier to talk to the other men around a campfire at night than in the harsh light of the day. You couldn't see the look in the other person's eyes, for one. And they couldn't see the look in yours. She'd go back to her tent late after Jake and Anthony were asleep. She was tired, yes, exhausted from marching all day, but more tired from spelling words than she should have been writing to someone at home. If she stayed in the tent, she'd only end up composing her own letter in her mind finishing it in her dreams but it was all right being tired tomorrow they were leaving for washington city may 26 someplace in ohio it was raining water dripped from the shed of the train pinched onto barrels on nearby wagons and soaked into their clothing. They had been given uniforms. Sarah now wore a long flannel shirt of blue with the tails outside the grey pants and new shoes. What bothered the recruits was that 
they didn't know where they were. The train had stopped for food and the sign on the depot had been torn down, but a band awaited them. And so they were ushered off to line up in formation. It was someplace in Ohio, one of the recruits said. He recognized the countryside. Some ladies were coming toward them now, pulling small wagons carrying gigantic urns of coffee. Others had cake. Sarah hoped they didn't have to board before she got her treat. There were rumors that the owners of the railroad were charging two cents a mile per soldier to transport them to Washington City. There were rumors that they'd run into trouble passing through Baltimore since Alvin's sympathy ran so high there. Sarah no longer listened to rumors. She accepted her hot coffee and cornbread from a woman who looked a little bit like Aunt Annie and tried not to spill any of the hot liquid on herself as they marched off the board. She'd hoard the cornbread. There were rumor they might not get anything to eat all the way to Washington. May 31, Baltimore. As the train rumbled through the countryside, past farms and railroad yards, and the backs of city houses, all Sarah could think of, stuck in her seat against the grimy window, was, I've never been on a train before. I'm the first one in my family ever to do so. I wish I could write Ma or Benjamin. Benjamin would love to hear this. So many towns, so many houses, so many people, so many soldiers. My Maryland is pretty. Pa should see these farms. He'd be less sour of tongue, or maybe more so since they seem so much more prosperous than ours. Then came the outskirts of a town or a city. Through the window, Sarah could see crowds in the streets, then lining the tracks. As the train started to slow down, the blur of faces separated into people people throwing things as a rock hit her window and careened off it. Sarah jumped and fell into the sleeping soldier next to her. A Pennsylvania boy, a bucktail, his hat with the bit of deer fur on it fell onto his lap. Watch yourself. He growled. I'm sorry, Sarah said, but the rock scared me. 
sounded like a shotgun. What are they doing? Attacking us, Sarah said, from what I can see. They came to a slow, screeching, steam-enveloping halt. The crowd was on the platform now, shouting, fists raised, hurling stones, brick brats. A regiment of soldiers with drawn bayonets held them off the cars. The train halted, less than 10 minutes, then was on its way again. Afterwards, Sarah heard that some rocks had come through the window, hitting soldiers. Why? She asked the sergeant who came through to reassure them. They're secessionists. About a month ago, they attacked the sixth machinists when they came through. Now it seems everyone is fair game. As he spoke, a woman pushed her face next to the window and glared in at Sarah, her mouth forming obscene words. Her eyes bulged, her fist shook. For the first time since she had left home, Sarah felt a kernel of fear sprouting inside her. These people were civilians. What would the secessionists in uniform be like when they had guns in their hands? The bucktail next to Sarah went back to sleep. The train started again, picking up pace, and once more, there was the beautiful Maryland countryside at dusk. Sarah saw a farmer herding his cows into the barn for the evening milking. She saw candlelight behind the farmhouse windows and felt such a depth of loneliness that she thought she would die. May 31, Washington City. If Sarah thought she was no longer a green recruit after passing through the angry mob in Baltimore when she saw Washington, she felt as if she had straw foot stamped on her forehead. At first, she felt the general excitement that ran through her car like a stream of warm water. Washington! President Lincoln, the White House. As if some signal had been given, the soldiers started to stand in the aisles as the train rocked into the depot. Next craned, and Sarah heard snatches of conversation. My oldest sister is here, says she's gonna be a nurse. Did you ever hear such an ocean? A woman, a nurse? I was hoping to buy some flour to dress up our provisions, but they say 
It's up to $12 a barrel here. My sister wrote home that if a person writes a letter to someone down south, they risk investigation. Folderol, I heard the place is swarming with spies. The regiment formed up once off the cars and marched through Washington Depot. It was huge and echoing filled with soldiers arriving from the north and west. Sarah was surprised how heavy her haversack felt. Where were they going? How far? Word ran down the line to some place called Gales Woods to stack their arms to camp. Supper would be waiting. Supper? Home. At this time, at home, she'd be going out to the barn to lock the doors for the night. The moon would be rising over the mountains. Her ma would be putting her bread dough to set for the morning. She could almost smell Ma's fresh bread. To keep the loneliness at bay, Sarah composed a letter in her mind. Dear Ma, well, we're here in Washington City. It's dark through the streets, but they are lit with gaslight. As we march through the muddy streets, I can see soldiers everywhere, hundreds of them. Also, the sidewalks are crowded with people, all kinds, darkies, clerks, important looking people, and just plain onlookers, ragged newsboys hawking the evening star. There are pigs in the streets, even geese. As we marched, I passed some shanties and some homes that looked like real palaces. The first road island marches right ahead of us. Behind us is the 13th Brooklyn. They are a common lot, bold and irreverent. I can see the half-finished capital in the distance. Bands seem to be playing all round and their sound is brutal in the air, not comforting. Somebody said there are over 50,000 volunteers here, Ma. I can't believe I'm here, Ma. Oh, how I wish I could send you this letter. May 31, near midnight, Washington. There were Sibley tents on the hill, set up and waiting for them. It was starting to drizzle. For as far as Sarah could see, there were tents and campfires. 
and the dark forms of men, the smell of horses, the mute sounds of an occasional harmonica, or of a sudden loud voice. And then there were the people, civilians, who'd come to put the washing kettles on the fire. Some held soup, some coffee. There were wagon loads of bread cut into chunks, cheese, milk, even plum pudding. Welcome to Camp Winfield, Scott, someone said. Sarah was directed to her tent. Her tentmate, whoever he was, had his gear already set in place. She sat hers down and went to get some supper. Soldiers, weary from the day's travel, weary from the march, were dropping down anywhere, taking food from the matrons who brought it being scolded by their superiors. Find your tent, son. Some slept right where they fell and had to be shaken to be awakened. June 1, morning, Washington. When the buckler woke her at five, it was still dark, but Sarah noted that the rain had stopped. You were asleep when I came in last night, a voice from across the tent said, Name's Jimmy Cowles. Sarah reached across the space between them and took the preferred hand. My company got in before yours, Cowles said. You been assigned yet? Assigned? Sarah asked. I'm to be an orderly in charge of supplies for the hospital. First things first, though. The latrines down by the ridge line near the trees. Get there early enough and it won't stink so much. The food's not bad. And we'll have to fall in for dress parade after breakfast. I hear President Lincoln himself is coming to tour our camp today. Better get started. The tents get inspected. Want to walk down with me to the latrine? No, Sarah said. I think I'll straighten my part of the tent first. June 1st, mid-morning, Washington. Sarah felt so stiff, she thought she would break like a twig if anybody so much as bumped into her. The day had turned cloudless and blue for miles in the distance. As she and hundreds around her stood at attention, all she could see were white tents like cherry blossoms on the hills. She felt with each breath she took that she was breathing in unison with the men 
all around her. Flags snapped in the brisk breeze every so often. A horse bearing an officer would snort and bob its head, and Sarah would hear the rattle of its bridle, but little else. From a distance, over the hills, came the sound of martial music. She'd had breakfast, set her aside at the tent to rights, put her uniform in order, and managed to visit the bushes a little away from the latrine. Two soldiers from the 13th Brooklyn saw her coming out of them and laughed. Now the president was coming. Orders were barked all up and down the line. There was the uniform snapped to attention. The shouldered muskets, bayonets gleaming in the sun. Sarah was in the third row, but she caught full view of President Lincoln and his wife as they walked by. He was so tall, just as she'd heard tell of him. And his wife's hoop skirt was so wide. He held her arm and they stopped on occasion to speak to a commander or a soldier in the line. The band was playing and then he turned to face Sarah's regiment and she saw the long nose, the sad eyes, heard the voice as he asked one soldier up front where he was from. In her head, Sarah was composing another letter that she knew she would never write. Dear Ma, today I came within five feet of Mr. Lincoln, President of these United States. He spoke to us. What surprised me most was that his voice didn't bark the way our commanders do. He has a light voice and a face that looks like the ground after we plough. But it's in his eyes, Ma. You should see those eyes. He looks like he knows all the bad things that will happen. She felt tears come to her eyes and pride swell in her heart and rise with the jaunty music in the air. For the first time in her life, she felt part of something outside herself, something larger than she could ever hope to be, something that might even go on if she fell in battle. That afternoon, there was a dress parade and they passed in view of the president. Afterward, she was given her assignment duties for the next month until they went into battle. Private Nettie Compton was to work with Private Jimmy Cowles, her tentmate, in one of the hospitals. He was to keep track of men from the 2nd Michigan who were sent there 
Onset Call and write daily reports of their progress. Sadly, all good things must come to an end. So, I bid you good night. Sleep tight and don't let the bed bugs bite.